Is it on? Okay. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes? Okay. For those of you who don't know what I do, I'm a bank manager and licensed insurance representative for Commerce Bank, Commerce Brokerage. I've been with Commerce Bank for over 14 years now and very proud to work there and very passionate about what I do. This topic tonight, um, Wisdom and Finances, is very near and dear to my heart because um, one of the most important things that I do in my line of work every day is help my clients take a look at their financial picture. If you do the right things with your money, you will have financial blessing. So tonight I'm going to talk um, with you about living within your means and the importance of doing the right things with your money so that you will have that financial blessing. If I were to ask everyone in the room what their monthly expenses were, I'd probably get a variety of responses including maybe some puzzled looks, um, blank stares, a few I don't knows, my husband handles all the bills, and I know this because when I ask my clients the same questions, these are some of the answers that I get. If you want financial blessing, you have to have wisdom. And a budget is an essential piece um, you must have in place. Just, just as organization is important in other areas of your life, a budget um, will keep you organized and financial, organized financially and will keep you out of a whole lot of trouble. So tonight I'm going to briefly share with you what a budget is, why you should have a budget, and what's likely to happen if you don't, um, how to put a budget in place and what it should include, what the Bible says concerning budgeting and financial blessing, and I'll conclude with a few money-saving tips that I've learned over the years. So let's start with what a budget is. Very simply, a budget is organizing your finances, knowing just how much money you have coming in, how much you have going out, and living within your means. Budgeting is going to be the best, most practical way to keep track of your spending. We're going to talk a lot about living within your means because not living within your means is what gets a whole lot of folks in trouble. Um, you will see that a budget is a great tool to financial freedom, and that's really how you should look at it, as a tool um, to get you where you need to be. Why should you have a budget and what will happen if you don't have a budget in place? There's going to be a variety of things that could happen. So you should have a budget to help you prepare for the future and to help keep you out of financial trouble, and it will if you follow it. You should have a budget because you need to live within your means, not your friend's means, uh, not the neighbor's means, your relative me relative's means, but your means. There's nobody you need to be keeping up with. It's unfortunate that we live in a society that's much about acquiring things and not living within our means. It's kind of like uh, keeping up with the Jones mentality, if you will, and it sadly gets a whole lot of folks in a whole lot of trouble. Budgeting is going to be a key piece needed for financial prosperity, and without a budget, you're setting yourself up for a financial disaster, I believe guaranteed at some point. And you may be sitting there right now thinking, well, I don't have a budget in place. I spend what I want, and I'm doing just fine. Well, at some point, not living within a budget, living within your means, is going to affect you negatively in many other areas of your life. It's kind of like the trickle-down effect, and I see the effects of not having a budget every day um, in my job with, with the folks that I deal with. Budgeting, it's really not a hard thing. Um, it's something all of us need to embrace and wrap our arms around. Folks think that by having a budget, they can't um, do what they want, they can't have what they want. Um, and to some extent, that's true in the beginning. Um, it's just a different mindset that we're used to thinking, a different way of thinking about things. But once you put a budget in place, 
Um, I think you're going to find that you can still do things that you want to do and have things that you want to have. Think about this for a moment. What would be more stressful? Would you rather have a bunch of credit card bills coming in for those things that um, you wanted but didn't really need? Um, creditors calling you every month wanting to be paid? Maybe a second mortgage on your house to cover those bills? Um, or would having a budget in the first place and living within your means be the better choice? When you go to purchase an item or a service, I urge you to think about it. Is it a want or is it a need? And I'll use the grocery store as just a very simple example. We all know not to go to the grocery store when we're hungry, right? <laughs> right? Why? Because we will for sure buy those things that are unhealthy for us and things that we don't need and we'll spend more money than we should. And I know we've all done that, so probably more than we'd like to admit. You really need to know what funds you have coming in, what funds you have going out, and if you have more coming in than you have going out, that's a negative cash flow situation and really not a good situation to be in at all. And it's time to sit down and take a good hard look at where your money's going. Um, even if things are going great for you now, like I said a moment ago, and you think you don't need a budget in place, think again. Um, I think we all know what's happened um, in the financial market over the past couple of years. Um, folks who have been with companies a long time have lost their jobs. Many have been forced to retire early. Um, companies have downsized. Unemployment's at an all-time high right now. Interest rates are down, and they're not going to be coming up anytime soon. And people are upside down on their homes right now. Um, believe it or not, there's financial institutions and mortgage companies out there that allowed customers to borrow more than their homes were worth. Um, I'm proud to say that Commerce was not one of those. Um, and didn't get involved in any of that subprime lending that took place that led to the downfall of so many of those financial institutions. Those particular institutions didn't care about the consumer, but only about making a buck. What does this mean for the folks that weren't financially prepared, though? They're all going to face problems and are facing problems right now. There's a lot of stress in their lives. They can't pay their bills. Their homes are being foreclosed on. Marriages are falling apart. All kinds of things are happening. And it doesn't stop there. Financial institutions have unfortunately made it so easy for folks to spend money that they don't have. Credit cards and debit cards make, us, make it easy for us to spend money as well. If you had to hand out cash for all your purchases rather than credit cards or rather than plastic, um, I wonder if we'd buy as much. I personally don't think that we would. We've become a society of plastic users, not really thinking what we're doing, but just doing it. And it's really quite sad because it gets so many folks in trouble financially. Our society has enabled folks to be spenders without any concern for how they're going to pay back that debt. And that's where self-discipline, self-control, and wisdom are going to come in. Be wise when it comes to financial issues. As Christians, we need to have self-control and self-discipline in everything, and that includes our finances. Have you ever wondered why some folks always seem to be in debt, no matter how much money they make? Many times these this chronic indebtedness, I'll call it, is due to a lack of self-control or a lack of self-discipline in someone's life. Uh, when you discipline yourself in regard to money and finances, it's going to allow you to expand to the full measure of what God wants for you. What does the Bible say about self-discipline and self-control in financial matters? Well, a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. That's Proverbs 25:28 in the Message Bible. When you lack self-control in any area, including finances, there's a sense of confusion in your life. So self-control is a must. The Bible also says, mark a life of discipline and live wisely. That's Proverbs 8.33 in the Message Bible. Financial discipline should include a balanced bank account. 
it's important that we keep good records and balance our accounts every month when those statements come in. But it's equally important to establish a budget and know um, just how your money's being spent. There is an actual order your money should be spent. Um, tithing should come first, then there's savings, and then there's spending. And we'll talk a little more about that here in just a moment. Self-control and self-discipline may seem difficult at times, but once your finances are under control, um, you're going to be in a much better place. The book of Hebrews says it this way. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely for the well-trained find themselves mature in their relationship with God. And that's Hebrews 12:11 in the Message Bible. So those are just a few examples of what the Bible has to say concerning self-control and self-discipline in the area of finances. And I've got a packet of information to hand out later um, that will include additional scriptures on uh, finances. So now let's move on to how to put a budget in place. There's going to be several steps to that. The first step is to sit down and make a list of all the bills that you have coming in monthly. That's going to be like your rent or your mortgage or gas, electric phones, things like that that come in on a monthly basis. Second step, you're going to want to make a list of all those bills that come in quarterly, like trash, water, things like that. Uh, the third step, you're going to want to make a list of those bills that come in yearly, like your homeowner's insurance, uh, personal property taxes, real estate taxes, maybe condo, subdivision dues, those type of things. Because you don't want to wait till the end of the year when you have all these large bills coming in and no way to pay for them. They need to be budgeted in monthly or you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble at the end of the year. The fourth step, um, you're going to want to make a list of any other monthly, monthly expenses that you incur, like doctor dentist expenses, haircuts, um, gas, oil changes, spending money, anything else that you do. You also need to be budgeting in monthly savings and tithes as well. A good rule of thumb is 10% of tithes, 10% of savings. Don't make them an afterthought. Um, so many times people say that they don't make enough money to tithe, that they don't make enough money to save. The reality is um, you do need to have a savings plan in place, so budget it in. Um, as for the tithe, if you're not tithing, you're not showing self-discipline and you're not show showing obedience to God. As we know, all of it belongs to God anyway, so make the tithe check the first check that you write each month. It's important to know um, what you're spending your money on, and it's a very eye-opening experience when you sit down and start identifying all those expenses and where your money goes. Once you've identified all those expenses, you need to identify your sources of income from your job, maybe it's Social Security, pensions, interest, interest income, wherever your money comes from. And then determine just by doing simple math, um, do you have a positive, negative, or neutral cash flow? Positive meaning that you have more money coming in than you have bills. Um, negative meaning that you have less money coming in um, than you have bills. And uh, neutral uh, meaning that you have just what you need. Um, there will be things that you will need to cut back on. And it's going to be very important to identify those and eliminate them from your uh, budget if you want it to work. You also need to identify needs versus wants. Um, if there's something that you really want, it really needs to be budgeted in and you need to save for it. You aren't always going to be able to have everything right now, so you need to have realistic expectations also if you're going to have a budget in place. Also, if you have credit card debt right now, you need to look for ways to cut back on your monthly expenses and apply those savings to the credit card debt. A lot of folks say, you know, if I only made more money, I wouldn't have so much debt. 
The fact of the matter is, if you cannot control your spending, um, then no matter how much money you make, it's never going to be enough. Controlling spending is a necessity for everyone and requires um, self-discipline again. You need to be accountable for your spending. So I'd like to conclude with a few tips on ways um, to save a little bit of money. Um, number one, just think. Um, think before you make a purchase. Um, don't buy on impulse because if you do, you most likely are going to regret it um, later. Um, for those things that you need, look for sales, look for coupons, um, discounts, you know, when stores are having sales. Um, I'm a big Kohl's shopper, so they always have like 15, 20% coupons, um, and they're all the time having sales. So I don't know, I like Kohl's anyway. Um, be a coupon clipper. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time, and it will save you a lot of money. Um, go to the grocery store on Thursdays. Um, I don't know how many people shop at Shop and Save, but Shop and Save has a $10 off coupon that comes every, almost every week um, in the mailer that comes around to everybody. But what you may not know is that Schnooks also honors that coupon. So if you go to Schnooks, you can also use that coupon. Food for less, too. All right. Oh, my does. Twin Oaks. Schnooks. That's still. Okay. Um, but some of the Schnooks maybe do. But that's the way to save a little bit of money to just look for a coupon. Um, make sure that if you acquire debt, such as the credit card debt that we've been talking about, that you have resources available to service that debt. Otherwise, you're just setting yourself up for financial disaster. Um, I'm a believer in using credit cards and debit cards, but only for convenience. Um, and as a banker, I urge you to save the receipts from those debit cards and um, write them in your register. Bank registers are our friends. Um, <laughs> If you have a problem overspending with plastic, use cash. It's harder to hand over cash than plastic to make those purchases. Keep a bank register, even if you're using online banking, ATMs and debit cards, so that you know what your true balance is. Don't rely on the ATM or the 24-hour information line at your bank to give you an accurate bank balance. That's only a balance at, at the point in time when you call in. Contrary to what many of my customers think, the 24-hour information line does not know what you have outstanding. Okay. Seriously. You'd be surprised. Don't overdraft your account. Overdraft fees are very expensive, and banks make millions and millions of dollars on overdraft fees. No need to help the cause. What I personally do is have an extra sum of money in my checking account that's not in my balance. And the reason I do this is because I get paid twice a month like a lot of folks do. Most of my bills come in at the beginning of the month, and I don't want to overdraw my account, so I just have my own overdraft source there. Um, if you use an ATM, use the ATM at your bank. Um, otherwise, you're going to be paying for an ATM fees, and that's just wasted money, 2 or $3 at a time. Um, and this is a big one and hard for a lot of folks, but very doable with a little discipline, actually a lot of discipline. You need to have a minimum of six to nine months of income in the bank at all times. And 12 months of income is preferable, because if you ever you lose your job, get laid off, and encounter an emergency or crisis in your life, you will need funds to draw from. No one expected the financial situation that happened over the past year to happen. Um, and there are a whole lot of folks in a bad situation right now. And I know this because I see and talk to them every day. Um, and it's because they weren't financially prepared. I like what Pastor Terry says. And I'm going to paraphrase here. But he says, live your life like Jesus is coming at any moment, but prepare for the future. And what that means to me is also to be wise in your finances. You must be prepared for the unexpected because, as we all know, things are going to happen. 
If, you're, if the company you work for offers a 401k plan, contribute the maximum you're allowed that the company will match. These are pre-tax dollars. You know, a lot of folks think that they don't have money to contribute to a 401k plan, but um, I say that you must, I mean, this is a must, um, because where else can you get a return like that, especially right now? Um, and again, it's all in the way that you look at it. If your company offers flexible spending accounts, more commonly referred to as FSA accounts for medical purchases, doctor bills, over-the-counter medications, um, where you can allocate funds, again, pre-tax for services, do it. Um, it's just another way to save money. So if you do the things we've talked about this evening, your money will go much further, your life will be less stressful, and you'll be on your way to financial freedom. So I'd like to leave you with this thought. Successful budgeting is going to be key to good financial health, so be wise um, about your money and spending habits. Don't spend more than you have. Be a tither. Be a saver. Live within your means, and you'll be financially blessed. Thank you. That was really, really good. I'll see how much noise I can make. I can't say enough good about that. Um, unfortunately, in our society, kind of the way... Um, life is now or what's expected out of people is is um, people go into college and they take loans and they end up you know when they get out of college being fifty or sixty thousand dollars in debt and then they have to buy a new car and then they're seventy thousand dollars in debt and then they have to have a really expensive engagement ring so now they're $80,000 in debt, and they've got to go on a honeymoon. Now they're $90,000 in debt, you know, and so they start out life, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 in debt when they just start out in life getting married, just start, starting out. And so rein in those desires, those, all those things that you think you have to have, and listen to what Connie said. It was really, really good, and get started on the right, right feet and stay on the right feet. And what she said about, you know, having, having a, a buffer, buffer account, you know, of, of 6 to 12 months, um, you think that's impossible, but it really is necessary. Um, if you're out because of unemployment or an illness or whatever, you need that. So it's best to rein in all those extra things that you want and, and not buy them and just put that money in the bank. That was really, really good. Really, really good. Well, um, now I'm going to share. And um, just as a reminder, what we're doing here is calling women to a higher standard in their thoughts, words, and actions, living higher, a higher standard for the Lord. Um, I feel like the Lord laid it on my heart because I was seeing so many Christian women just kind of sinking lower and lower in the way that they were living. They weren't really living for the Lord, but they were just living just kind of letting, letting their flesh run wild in, in every way possible with their mouth, with their thoughts, and with their actions. So what we really want to do is we want to all commit to living on that higher plane, living according to the Word of God. 
And I've given you all a scripture sheet. And I'm going to um, use a lot of these. Uh, in case any of you haven't brought your Bible, I'm going to use some of these. And then you can take it home because it has a lot of extra stuff on it also that you can look at. But this uh, first scripture is not on your sheet. It's 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You might think, what in the world is the Bible telling us to beat ourselves? Well, what it's talking about is disciplining ourselves. In other words, if I want to have ice cream every night before I go to bed, I don't let myself. In other words, I'm beating those fleshly desires down and, and living according to the word of God and taking a higher plane. Or if I want to say something out of my mouth that is not in line with the word of God, I want to crab or complain or say something bad about somebody, <laughs> and that's hard to do. That is hard to do. Sometimes you, you just literally feel like you need to have duct tape across your mouth to keep your mouth shut because God doesn't want you to say those things. He wants you to say things that are encouraging and uplifting. Or sometimes you want to you want to have this train of thought that's you know in the mully grubs or, grubs or down in the dumps or you know critical of people and, and you just have to you have to grab a hold of your mind and make yourself think good things, make yourself think according to the word of God. So when the, it it says I beat my body, it just really means discipline. And those people that are athletes, you understand what discipline is. It doesn't feel good, does it? When you're pushing yourself and making yourself, you know, try to achieve the things you want to achieve, it's hard. And it's hard to discipline our bodies, but the longer we do it and the more we keep ourselves in line with the Word of God, the easier it is. Just like an athlete, the more that they train, the easier certain things get. And the more that we discipline ourselves, the easier it can get. So we've talked about the importance of living a higher standard in our thoughts and in our words. Tonight we're going to talk about living a higher standard in our deeds, or our actions. In Hebrews 10.24, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So God is wanting us to encourage each other to walk in love and to have good deeds. So tonight I'm here to encourage you to have good deeds. Amen? Good deeds. Now, can you all think of any example of what would be considered good deeds? That would be a good deed. Yes, ma'am. Doing something nice for someone who's having a hard time. Can you guys think of anything? What would be a good deed? Washing somebody's car. Yes, ma'am. Helping pets sit for a friend when they're out of town. Lexi. Sitting by the new kid at school. Very good. 
Why don't you think of something, um, a good deed you could do for a brother? <laughs> do his laundry. Wow. wow. <laughs> and put it away. <laughs> She's been thinking about that one. Yes, ma'am. You could bake them some cookies. Very good. Now we did brothers. Can you think of any good deeds you can do for husbands? Do his laundry. Do his laundry. <laughs> can you think of anything else? Make him a special dinner. Iced tea. Yes, ma'am. You could rub his back. Can you think of anything else? Yes, ma'am. Send care packages when they're away. That's right. Those are all really good things. Um, some other examples that the Bible talks about are caring for the poor, for widows, serving, and caring for orphans. Those are all good deeds that the Bible uh, says specifically. Um, good deeds are commanded by God, and they'll please God. Um, let's look at Titus 3.14. It says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. See, God tells us that we need to devote ourselves to doing good things, good deeds, and in doing that, we'll provide for ourselves and we'll also not be unproductive. You know, we can live lives that are very unproductive or we can li live lives that are productive. And we want to be productive, don't we? And 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here it's telling us that scripture is here so that we'll be equipped for good works. So God wants us to be doing good works. Amen? Um, God created us to do good deeds, and God's grace enables us to do good deeds. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Wow. God is there to help us do good works. And you know, there's a lot of times when we really don't feel like it. We're too busy. We're too tired. We're too overburdened. But that is when God's grace can really flow through us and enable us to do things you know, there's a lot of things that I've had to do that I don't have a clue how to do them. Don't have the talent or ability or the knowledge, but I have to do them, so I have to rely on God's grace to work through me. And it's amazing what God's grace can do that you can't do. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that God has good works out there prepared for you to do? That's really neat. I think that's neat. And, and the Bible says that we're created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. 
So those are, that's really important. God has a purpose for us, and it's to do good works. It's to do good works. And also the Bible talks about that our good deeds will lead people to Christ. Can anybody give me an example of someone that did a good deed to you or you saw an example of them and in them and they led you to Christ by seeing them? Lexi? See, there's an example right there. She's talking about Becca Lawson. You know, Becca showed her love in elementary school. And because of that, she's sitting here today. See what our actions do? Can anybody else give me an example? Can anybody think of any good deeds that the people have done that helped lead you to Christ? Debbie? My mother. She raised us in a godly home. Mm-hmm. Mothers are full of good deeds. And think about the influence that a mother has on her children when her children sees her doing good deeds. And Debbie's here because of that. Anybody else have an example? Yes, Vicki. We had neighbors that were very nice to us. They were like our grandparents. Mm-hmm. There's another example. See how our good deeds can influence other people? Yes, ma'am. See? Now you're here because of Erica. Isn't that wonderful? See how your good deeds affect other people? That's really, really good. You have a lot to be thankful for when you have a friend lead you to the Lord. In Matthew 5:14, this is Jesus talking. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Isn't that neat? People see that we're the light of the world by the good deeds that we do. A lot more people are looking at you than you think. People are watching. And those people have an opportunity. uh, You can give those people an opportunity to see the life of Christ in you by the good deeds that you do. In 1 Peter 2, 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, our good deeds are going to be evident to everyone. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now, this is Paul talking, and he, he did so many things that, that weren't um, what you might say his ball of wax. There weren't things that he really cared about, but he did certain things 
just not, he didn't sin or anything, but he just did certain things so that he could influence people and win them to the Lord. And a lot of times we have the attitude, well, you know, I want to be me. I just want to do what I want to do. I want to, you know, be in my own groove. But Paul didn't have that attitude. He was willing to take different paths in life so that he could affect different people. He learned about other people's cultures. He, you know, ate food that he didn't really, really care to eat. Didn't, you know, he did it all out of love. He did it all to affect other people so that they might be saved. And he was um, very aware of the fact that um, he could do things to make people stumble. He was very aware that he could do things that would cause people not to follow God, and he was really careful not to do those things so that he would be able to win the lost. Um, And in doing good deeds, we are honoring God with our bodies. You know, the Bible says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's got to be one of the most awesome things in the whole world is that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you look in the Old Testament what the rules were for the temple and for all the things in the temple and how you approached the temple, how you entered the temple, who could come in, what they had to be wearing, what they had to do while they were in there, before they got in there, you know, on and on and on and on, you realize that being a temple of the Holy Spirit is not a small thing. And God has very um, high expectations of what his temple is and what it should be, and we need to be aware of that. So let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. It says, I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. See, God wants our clothing to be good deeds. You know, our emphasis shouldn't be on, you know, what kind of jeans we have or what kind of shoes or jewelry or whatever. It should be that we're clothed with good deeds. And the Bible here talks about dressing modestly. Do you know that um, you can cause men to stumble by the way you dress? You know, God made men to be attracted to women. And God made men to be sexually stimulated by women. So a godly man only wants to be stimulated sexually by his wife. But a godly man, a lot of times because of the way Christian women even dress, they have to be going like this all the time. And they have to, they have to use such self-control because of the way women dress. And as Christian women, we need to be aware of that. We should not uh, dress in a way that is causing men to have to be, you know, always looking the other way or having to always be controlling their thoughts. You know, um, that's just not walking in love. And that's not a good deed if we dress seductively. Now, a lot of times we think we're just dressing fashionably or the current trends or whatever. But if our clothes are too tight, or if our cleavage is showing, or if our jeans are too, so tight that, you know, it looks like we're trying to give ourselves a butt lift or something, you know. <laughs> you know, and certainly if you bend down and, you know, you can see the crack, you know. <laughs> you know, if your tummy's showing and stuff, you know, it may look real stylish to us or just, you know, like we're looking, you know, really nice and trim and, and everything. But what it does to men is it stimulates them sexually. 
and God made them that way, that's part of a man's nature. And to say that they're not supposed to act that way is saying that they're not supposed to be alive. And those things are put in, God made those things for marriage. He didn't make them for just walking, you know, around at work or at church or at school. We need to be modest in the way that we dress. And we need to be aware of the way that God made men. And we need to walk in love toward them. We don't need to be showing them our breasts. We need to be showing them our good deeds. Amen? Amen. And then um, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. A lot of times we think worship is, you know, 30 minutes at the beginning of the songs, you know, beginning of the service. But that's not what God calls worship. Our worship is presenting our bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. 24 hours a day, every single day of the year, that's what worship is. And if we can present our bodies to the Lord and live holy, that's very pleasing to him. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And honoring God with your body is a good deed. Like what I said before um, about the dress and stuff, I didn't, I didn't understand any of that until I was a little bit older. You know, I didn't understand that when I was a teenager. I didn't understand that when I was in my 20s. I probably didn't even get it when I was in my 30s. But as you, as you grow, you understand that, that this is the way... This is what makes the world go round, so to speak. This is what happens. And, and um, we've heard enough horror stories about women getting raped and kidnapped and abducted that um, we need to take um, not only measures to protect ourselves, but measures to live holy and measures to walk in love toward the opposite sex. And I have one last scripture. You know that there's prayers. You'll find it on the back of your sheet. There's prayers in the Bible about um, concerning good deeds. And I'm going to read Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 20. It says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. And that's a prayer that's in the Bible about doing good and God equipping us to do good. So um, to conclude this tonight, we're going to have communion and just dedicate ourselves to the Lord to do good. And I ask Pat to come up. Testing? Okay, it's working. <laughs> um, this is a serious time before we receive communion. Um, over the past three months, uh, Pastor Diane's been talking to us about measuring our thoughts 
and our words and tonight our actions by a test and that test consists of asking ourselves if our thoughts words and actions pass the love test pass the faith test pass the purity test and the fruitful test and the bread and wine that we're going to receive tonight represent the greatest expression of love faith and purity the world has ever known but it's up to us to see if it passes the test of fruitfulness in us. So um, let's take what we've learned so far and apply it to our lives, like Pastor Diane was sharing. And we want to come up to a higher standard. That's what, why we're called the higher standard. That's why you guys came out tonight, because I think you all want that. Um, Jesus said that whoever believes in him out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I know, like me, you probably want that to come out of your heart. And the Bible also tells us that, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So those are our words, and, and usually our words are followed with actions. And I think about that, that flow, that living water, a pure stream. And I was just thinking, maybe this will sound silly to you, but I was just thinking about this stream. It flows from my thoughts down into my heart froze out of my brain, you know, down into my heart, and then back up out of my mouth, you know, and it's just a, a flow, and it, it should flow pure and full of love and, and faith. And, you know, we can't do that without God's grace, and we can't do that on our own. We're going to fall flat on our face. But, you know, God is there. The Holy Spirit's our helper, and, and so he's available to help us. So don't get get it in your mind that you can't do this. You know, it's like Connie taught us about finances. It takes discipline, and discipline's hard, but it's doable, or God wouldn't ask us to do it. Um, communion is a time for reflection, remembrance, and repentance. And one of the dictionary definitions of communion is intimate communication. It was funny because as I was thinking about what I was going to say tonight, I was sitting in church last night, and Pastor Terry kept saying the word intimate and intimacy. And I thought, wow, you know, that's exactly what I felt like God wanted us to know tonight, is that we have an intimate relationship with him. It's personal. It's, it's, it's between you and him. It's deep. Uh, it's private. And it's close. If you have an intimate friend, they're usually your confidant. Confidant, did I say that right? So, um, before we give out the communion tonight, if if you would like to, I'd like everybody to just take a few minutes, get deep inside you, get with your confidant, get with the Lord, and examine yourself, ask Him for your help, His help, and and let's just uh, let's take a minute to to repent before we receive this. If you want to walk around going. If you want to walk into a corner for a minute with him, we'll come back together, and then we're going to receive communion. So we just take take a few minutes with the Lord.
on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Lord. Take and drink. God is good, isn't he? I appreciate y'all coming out tonight. I believe we're just going to move higher and higher. Amen? And the more that we walk in line with the word of God, the more that we walk in line with love, the more people we're going to be able to affect. Amen? Starting with our families first and then everybody else. Amen? So we're going to... Exercise now. We want to encourage everybody that can to stay because we're going to try to come up to a higher standard in our physical fitness. Amen. So we have in the youth room, we have muscle training, Pilates, and in here we're having aerobics. So um, we're going to start that here in just a few minutes. And if you can stay, that's great. And if not, we're so glad that you came tonight. We love you all and just are so blessed that you came tonight. There's a, there's a bag under your chairs that has stuff from Connie, financial stuff. <laughs>